there's a real lack of understanding, I guess, in how amazing a career in the beauty industry is. So I think there's a um, yeah, there's exciting work going on in that in that field. Welcome to Barely Naked. I'm your host, Christina Beischel, and together we will explore topics such as mental and physical health, healing, and well-being. We'll meet inspiring individuals and hear their stories. I'm so excited to have you here. Let's dive in. Hi, Sonia. Welcome to Barely Naked. How are you? I'm really well. Thanks for having me on, Christina. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you here. So you are the beauty director of the Telegraph Group, and you're on the advisory board and policy committee of the British Beauty Council. So I want to talk to you about beauty and your favorite products, of course, but also about the media and diversity uh, in terms of beauty and beauty campaigns. Then I also want to find out a bit more about the British Beauty Council, the work that they're doing, the work that you're doing with them, and also what career options are out there for young people in the beauty industry these days. So my first question to you is, how do you see the beauty industry evolving? Um, so I think in the last 10 years, we've seen quite a dramatic change in the industry. I've been um, working at the um, at the Telegraph and as a journalist for um, 14 years now, and things have changed dramatically in the beauty industry in that time. Um, it's definitely become much more of an open and inclusive space, and I think social media has quite a lot to do with that. But also I think um, as consumers now, we're much more open and honest about how we feel about products and how we want products sold to us. Um, so I think there's been a real shift in sort of how we purchase, how we look at products, how we try products, um, and it's definitely by and large for the better. Is there something that you would like to see more of? You know, just making sure that in when it comes to advertising and the way that they're uh, the way that products are sort of spoken about is much more inclusive. Um, there was, you know, I remember 10 years ago, there would be campaigns around foundations that would only cater towards certain skin tones. And, you know, you perhaps may have gotten a, a shade extension like a year later when the brand kind of figured out whether they wanted to extend the shade range. You know, I feel like those sort of things can't happen anymore um and also I remember sort of five even five years ago you'd look at a beauty campaign and often you'd not see anyone that was relatable to you and that's not just a diversity thing in terms of um skin color and ethnicity but you know in terms of uh people with um differing abilities or um in terms of you know men and women different shapes, different sizes. That is happening much more now. I think everything's becoming much more inclusive. And that's more because a lot of people won't put up with just the way things were. And, that, and that's good. I feel like the beauty industry and brands need to have a cert, certain level of accountability now, which I think it was much easier for them to almost have this like mysterious allure of being, you know, us versus them. You know, they'd Beauty brands, I think, back in the past would almost be slightly intimidating for, for customers. You know, you'd kind of walk into a department store and you'd almost 
you know, and I worked on a makeup counter when I was at university. I definitely remember how nervous customers would, would be coming up to, you know, check out products and pick up products and try things because it is quite intimidating. You know, it's intimidating because it's about your face and it's on you. And there's a real kind of self-esteem thing there. But um, I feel like actually now we're in a space where we can be much more inclusive and open. You know, it's not about, you know, I think a lot of the language has changed as well, which is something I've been really keen to shift in the way that I write editorial around beauty. You know, it's not about fighting wrinkles or trying to reverse the signs of aging or trying to sort of anti-age and cover up and, you know, hide your spots and all of that sort of thing. I think the language has really changed and shifted and it's had to change um, because now it's, you know, it's much more about pro-aging, making sure that actually whatever age you are, it's all about celebrating celebrating who you are in a positive way rather than it, you know, you almost trying to turn back the clock. That just feels very sort of 90s, 80s to me. You know, it's not cool. Do you see a difference then uh, between, in terms of the diversity um, with the drugstore brands and the luxury brands? Uh, yes, I think the drugstore brands are doing so brilliantly. Um, you know, more than ever, there is, you can walk into a Boots or a Superdrug and whatever skin type, texture, color, shade, everything, uh, you know, you would you will be able to find what you're looking for more than ever before. You know, even five years ago, you sometimes couldn't. You may have to have gone to like um, a much more premium store, a premium offering, um, pay for products with a much higher price tag, which again is just so sort of um, excluding because a lot, a lot of people, you know, you don't want to spend more than £10 on a foundation or a concealer and there should definitely be those products available to you at a much more approachable price point and I think that now you know in 2022 I can't believe it's taken this long but there's much more of a um you know budget friendly price options for really good quality makeup you know the the quality and skincare you know the quality of products are just getting better and better so you can kind of quite you know there's a lot of things I use in my um bathroom cabinet and in my makeup bag that are sort of under the 15 pound price mark because they're really good you don't have to nowadays pay top dollar for really good products which is nice we talked about the the diversity in the beauty industry but talk to me also about diversity in the campaigns and what we're more seeing when we open a magazine, when we go on a website, what's happening there and how it's changed. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think um, it's something that I've been very aware of in terms of um, editorial we create. You know, it, I want to, um, increasingly, it's less about just having you know, a, a young 20-something model showing off beauty looks. It has to feel relevant, um, you know, and that becomes, again, like we've said, it's not just diversity and kind of skin colour and shade range and that sort of thing, but also age-wise, you know, I you, you kind of want to, if you're targeting products um, 
you know, skin rejuvenating products for a 40 plus market. You don't want to see it on a 20 year old. Um, you know, I think the whole ageism thing is really big. And that's something that I feel like should happen much more. You know, I, we've often put um, older models on our, on our cover because it's relatable. You know, you just want to feel like you realistically, especially when it comes to beauty products, you want to feel like actually I could wear that lipstick or I could wear that eyeshadow and you don't have to have that kind of incredible like collagen rich (laughs) 20-year-old skin to wear it. Um, And it feels a bit more honest. If you feel, if you um, are talking about a, if if a beauty brand is kind of putting out a campaign around a um, retinol cream or, you know, something that has kind of active ingredients in, um, you want to see how it will work on an older skin type. You know, it's it's age rele- relevant. It's kind of the women who will ultimately be buying that product. You don't want to see 18-year-olds in a campaign using the products that, you know, the brand potentially may be designing that for a sort of 40-plus market. But um, I feel like that's changing. You know, 10 years ago, you would see most campaigns would be sort of really young beautiful looking girls which is so beautiful to see as a campaign and you know it makes sense why they did it but now it's um you kind of want that plus everyone else what about everyone else you know what about all the all of the different skin types and textures and um and ages and everything so it's you know brands are definitely shifting and changing and I think that's a good thing so in terms of the ageism and using filters and fillers and you know, plastic surgery, do you see anything changing there? Are we still um, in an era where plastic surgery is that dominant or that visible even? Um, And how do you feel, especially on Instagram, the whole filter situation is affecting children and teenagers? Yes, I think, um, I think filters and beauty is, is, is a huge, huge, huge subject because, especially in relation to children and teenagers, I think there's such a um, expectation, I think, of always looking very well put together. I mean, some of these filters are so deceiving that it doesn't look like you're even using a filter. You know, it just makes you look like a better version of yourself. But then obviously that's not honest. I feel you know, the types of filters I will use, I'd never use any filter on any of my social media posts on my grid at all. I will occasionally use a filter on my stories, but it will be an obvious looking filter. And I'll normally say it's because I've had a rough night's sleep (laughs) or, you know, it will never be a kind of filter that makes my eyes look much bigger and my lips look plumper. Never any of that. It may be like, Uh, you know, some glitter in the background or something just to make it look a bit more snazzy. Um, And I kind of feel like that's okay, especially when it comes to beauty. If you're talking about beauty in a genuine and authentic way, you cannot have filters. Um, And I feel like actually now we're holding influencers and um, people selling products online and on Instagram much more to account. You know, you that that's just an absolute no go. You can't I mean, how can you genuinely sort of talk about the, 
you know, the brilliance of a product if you've got a filter on. Um, so there's, there's that whole side of things, the kind of um, having integrity with what you're saying and, and how you're sort of showing products. But also when it comes to um, speaking to sort of younger people, I definitely feel like there's a real responsibility that you don't ever want um, anyone to feel kind of feel like that actually Instagram and social media is such a sort of small snapshot of people's lives. But um, you don't want anyone to ever feel like, oh, gosh, I don't I don't wake up and look like that, you know, (laughs) or, you know, that's not um, how do your like how 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 do you how do your cheekbones look like that? And you're you know, it's just. I think filters um, filters have a lot to, to answer for. You know, there's a real, I mean, there's fantastic campaigns going on in the industry to kind of for people to to, um, uh, to be very open and honest about filters, to not be using filters. Um, and I think there's a real responsibility, especially for sort of slightly older people who, who maybe appeal to a younger audience they need to kind of start it from, um, you know, from that education needs to start quite early on. You know, it's almost like we don't need we don't need to have filters. Um, and then in terms of the whole kind of aesthetic industry, I mean, it's been a huge booming industry for the last five to ten years. I mean, I've gone from at the beginning of my career it almost being something that you wouldn't really talk about. You know, sometimes you'd um, you may mention Botox in a story, but it was all like, it all felt very sort of unapproachable and it was something that people did, um, people who are very vain would do. Um, whereas now, I mean, it's, I feel like aesthetics is such a big part of my job. You know, it's not just beauty products and skincare and hair care. It's, you know, aesthetics is a big part of it because, um, Actually, it's a. There are so there are so many better. There are so many fabulous, brilliant doctors who do really good work. And I always feel like if you're going to write a piece of content or talk about on Instagram any kind of tweakments or aesthetics, um, always rec- always kind of um, it's better to to suggest really brilliant people and give good advice rather than kind of not saying anything at all um so you know I don't personally get any tweakments myself I haven't had any any um uh I don't go and have Botox or fillers not to say I wouldn't I mean I totally will you know definitely as I approach 40 I feel like I'll be having some tweakments along the way but um yeah I feel like again with when it comes to tweakments things are much more um um the techniques the the ways to ha- to have it done is much better now um i think the real education is around going to qualified people not having um you know buy one get one free deals these kind of awful things where people i see it quite often you can like go and get your cheek filler and get your chin done for free like that you know all, when it comes to injectables, ultimately you're, you are having something injected into your face. So I feel like when it comes as a journalist, what I want to make sure is that it always comes from a very responsible place. It's always like make sure 
you see either a doctor or a dentist or someone like highly qualified um, and making sure that you do all of the like checks beforehand. You've seen all of the sort of, um, you've seen a lot of before and afters and it's not just by going through their Instagram account because a lot of these kind of, um, a lot of injectors have these like really amazing Instagram accounts that kind of show these fantastic transformations. Again, potentially a filter, who knows? But I think there's a real like um, responsibility to not take, um, to actually see injectables for the seriousness that it is rather than, you know, I think it's quite easy for um, in this day and age to kind of see injectables as a bit of an extension of beauty treatment. You know, it's almost like, oh, it's just a type of facial or, you know, but it's not. It it needs the, it needs, it's a medical treatment. It needs a lot of research. Um, yeah. And I think also if you're the younger you are, maybe you don't have the purchase power, right? So you do end up going not to the doctor to get maybe your lips done or something. You end up going to cheaper places and maybe the places that will do the deals, Um And then it's the same thing that you just said. It's like, okay, they ask for more and more and more. And that person may not say, no, it's not going to look good. They will just do it because you're paying. And um, that's the scary part. Exactly. And it's addictive. You know, once you're on a cycle of um, having quite sort of having a lot of filler, um, I mean, I I feel like as, as, as it wears off, you'll want to maintain those results. I mean, there's there have been studies around it I think there's a real um I mean I'm definitely not against um injectables at all I'm very pro it but it's having them done in the right hands um having sort of you know some brilliant ways that injectors and doctors can have can do very little um very little in terms of treatments that can have such an effective result. They, you know, it can make you look like you're really well rested and that you've had a really good night's sleep. And I think ultimately that's all you all want to look like, isn't it? Rather than like a different person with cheekbones up here and, you know, um, stretched chins and, and that sort of thing. We just want to look like a sort of slightly better version of ourselves. I agree. And it needs to be an informed decision rather than just, you know, if you were to get actual plastic surgery done, you would make sure you do your research, or ideally you would, and it should be the same sort of approach. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about, you wrote an article recently um, about a scene in uh, and Just Like That where Carrie was wearing a traditional South Asian outfit that they kept in the show referring to as a sari. But as you pointed out, the outfit wasn't a sari. It was a traditional garment, but not a sari. And I wanted to talk to you about why that's so problematic um, and what made you speak up. Um, so I, I, saw, I, I sort of started watching the, the whole series and I found it quite cringe, actually, from start to finish. Um, but that episode in particular, when I saw that, I was almost, I was kind of taken aback by it because... Um, it felt like, I mean, the whole series I felt was kind of, it was so kind of, um, cringeworthingly woke in, in everything they were saying. It felt, felt like they were almost too scared to say anything. 
And so then they they stumbled and tripped up a lot about topics. And it was just all really felt really sort of insincere and ingenuine. But that episode in particular, I was sort of, I, um, uh, I had seen the picture of her in the outfit before I had actually seen the episode. I saw the picture and I thought, oh, wow, that's amazing. Like she's wearing, you know, I'm not, I'm definitely not um, against her um, appreciating the culture and wear, you know, wearing outfits. I mean, I, I was like, gosh, that's amazing. Like how great that she's used this as, a, as an opportunity to kind of um, promote different types of dress and outfit and, and, you know, from different cultures. Amazing. Then I actually saw the episode and then I, and that was what kind of, um, made me really sort of, um, get quite annoyed was this, the scene in the sari shop where she spoke about, um, cultural appropriation and how, you know, and she actually said, oh, I really culturally appreciate that outfit. And it, that felt all very, weird because actually cultural appropriation is a bit of a so you know it's a it's a big topic and she was sort of making fun out of that in the first instance fine whatever they were in a sari shop so she said oh I really you know culturally appreciate that sari and um and then in the next scene when you're sort of expecting her to wear a sari she wasn't she was wearing a um a lenga which is a very different type of south asian outfit it's a skirt with a crop top rather than you know a sari is a long piece of fabric that you wrap around the body um and i was like where's the sari that's not a sari but <laughs> the the thing that really was um problematic for me was you know the almost the um the implication was that actually, I guess, a Western culture is so kind of, they're not ready to learn a second word other than sari when it comes to South Asian dress. It's almost like saying, I think I said this at the time, it's almost like saying every kind of Western dress is a wrap dress. You know, you just wouldn't say that. Um, that is how a sari is. Sari is just a type of outfit that is worn. It's not, um, it's definitely not the kind of the only outfit that's worn or the only type of clothing that's worn. And actually in lots of parts of India, it's not worn. Um, and so it was, it was a, the, the, the kind of subtext was actually, we can't, we'll just call it a sari because that's what people, that's what's palatable to the kind of audience. And they're not ready to learn a second word <laughs> about, you know, um, South Asian dressing. Um, which I think was really patronising and just felt really sort of um, messy. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, and just the sort of the, the general stereotypes of, of the episode. I feel like they 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 tried to kind of bring in some because um, obviously Sex and the City was for white women as the lead characters. They've obviously tried to bring in different sort of supporting characters, which um, obviously Seema was a supporting character. Um, And yet it was bringing her in um, as a total cliche of this kind of woman who was like, you know, had to hide. She was in her 40s, for goodness sake, really successful, like super kind of... um, you know, quite uh, a, a great figure, but yet she had to hide smoking from her parents and her 
her mum and dad were kept badgering her on about getting an arranged marriage. And, you know, it was just like, is this, and, and also, yeah, like, I mean, is this reality? Is this all, like, you're, you're basically just bunging in every single stereotype you can into this one episode, just kind of almost neatly wrapped up as, like, this is our offering of, of, of something that's, like, you know, a different culture. Um, yeah, it just really, it really annoyed me. <laughs> it really annoyed me. as, um, And it did loads of other people. So when I posted it on Instagram... I had so many comments and so many shares and likes from that post because um, it was like, actually, this isn't, um, you could have really used that as a good opportunity just to sort of break a lot of barriers, introduce new audiences, um, seem kind of relevant, but then it immediately felt like we were back in the, you know, 1995 yeah yeah I think a lot of people found the show really cringeworthy um and I think most people ended up just watching it because it was so cringy um and like with anything they did it seemed like they just piled on the stereotypes it was just really bizarre I mean for goodness sake they're based in New York which is one of the most like multicultural diverse places on in the world um so you're telling me there was no one that they could consult throughout that whole process as to can we just sense check this? Yeah, or well, someone would have just randomly picked yeah, up on I it. I know. I know. I mean, You'd think someone would pick up on it. Like I know, in the whole process, like, did no one actually say, oh, actually, Carrie, that's not a sorry. Just, I mean, that's so basic. There's no, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's not making any make great statements. or And I feel like the whole thing was quite sloppy, actually, to, from start to finish. But even if she just called it the right thing. But this then also brings me to my next question, because you do a lot of work around the beauty industry representation, because you're a member, or you're on the advisory board and policy committee of the British Beauty Council. Um, So can you tell me a little bit about the work that you do there and um, how your journey has been with them? Yes, absolutely. So it's one of my biggest passions. Um, I have worked with the British Beauty Council um, a lot over the last two years. Um, so in the at the beginning of the sort of pandemic, a lot a lot of it was around um, uh, informing the general sort of beauty industry what was going on. Um, working really closely with there's uh, the chief exec- the CEO of the British Beauty Council is incredible. This woman called Millie Kendall. OBE. Um, and so, um, you know, myself and Millie would work really closely together. I would um, interview her a lot for loads of stories because, you know, she had a sort of direct line to the government in terms of what was going on for the industry. Um, and then um, I became an advisory board member um, the that same year, by the end of that year. Um, and what I um, help with is essentially just, um, you know, any ideas on, on how to kind of um, communicate a lot of the, the things going on. There are There is so much that, that the British Beauty Council is doing in terms of, you know, sustainability, um, diversity and inclusion, uh, just generally being that real, like, first port of call when it comes to supporting the industry. Um, and it's such a, it's an advocacy group, so it's... Um, it's really there designed to kind of really raise the reputation of the beauty industry, which I feel like has 
they have done a phenomenal job in doing in the last two years. I mean, it's only sort of, gosh, they'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure it's only four or five, four years that it's been. Yeah. Yeah. Four years. It was just before I um, went on my second mat leave that it launched. Um, So it's four years ago that it launched. And, you know, now the British beauty industry is like, the, the I interviewed the Chancellor Rishi Sunak last October and you know he called it an essential service to the British in, you know in terms of British industries it's in a, the beauty industry is essential to the UK you know we could never have imagined that would have happened two years ago it was always you know the beauty industry was always considered as very sort of fluffy and frivolous and it's all about you know lipstick and mascara and stuff actually no there's uh it's worth 30 billion um 30 billion pounds to the uk economy which is double the car manufacturing industry it employs you know 600,000 people in the uk one in 60 jobs is in the beauty industry in the uk i mean it's vast um and also what's really interesting and what i think has been a great part being being part of the beauty industry to really kind of uh, British Beauty Council to, to support is, you know, the um, the British beauty industry is 80, I think 88% women. So it's very much a kind of female-run, female-led industry, which is so unique. There aren't those kind of industries around, you know. The fact that it um, promotes women working flexibly, um, that it helps to, you can work around other elements of your life you can be freelance you can be self-employed you can own your own salon you know there are so many different elements of it that actually it felt very um for me I was so passionate about wanting to support um support those the industry which is so largely women and um, you know a lot of my friends work within the industry a lot of my friends are facialists and makeup artists and you know just seeing from the front line from them how they were being affected, how they were almost being treated as if, you know, the the um, the services you do are not safe to do while, you know, in COVID because it's too close contact. And actually, like, the beauty industry has always been one of the most hygiene efficient. They've used PPE years before. No, anyone knew what PPE meant. Um, so it's always been – so if – for the British Beauty Council is a massive like education piece around like establishing what like what the expertise of the beauty industry is which is vast um and I feel like actually now looking at the reputation that's you know um Millie and the British Beauty Council were and I went over to um um to number 11 Downing Street uh two weeks ago because they hosted um a great um a great uh, breakfast for 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 young girls going into STEM industries. So it's just that you know it's the kind of fascinating and um, it's the amazing kind of um, empowering work that it does to really really promote and raise the reputation of the beauty industry. And I'm just so passionate about it, as you can probably tell. I can kind of go off about it for such a long time. Um, but I think particularly working in the beauty industry myself for such a long time. You know, you always get those eye rolls and those, you know, people feel like you kind of feel like you almost have to defend what you do. 
Um, and even as a beauty writer, you know, you'd sort of, you always get those eye rolls of, oh, that must be so nice writing about lipstick all day. Like, actually, no, that's not what I do. <laughs> um, so actually, it's really nice to, to, to really um, sort of shout out from the rooftops how valuable and how, um, how important the British beauty industry is. Absolutely. And um, I also think like there's, there's so much you just said and I just wanted to tap into so many things. And um, I know that I just went off on one. Yeah, so. but there were so many things and I'm just, it's really fascinating because there was also this one post, which you just touched on, um, where I think you, um, you were, I think that was the, the conference you were just talking about, about women, science and beauty. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because I think people, when they hear beauty industry, they think about, you know, um, nail salons and, um, hairdressers, but the, the entrepreneurship and, um, yeah, the science that goes into it, people forget about. So I just wanted to hear what that was about and what was discussed there. That's, I mean, that's, that's so it, there's, there's so many women and young girls who fall out of, um, sciences, um, and don't pursue careers in science because they feel like actually what what are the options do I you know if you don't want to go into if you don't want to be trained to become a doctor or a um or a dentist you know as a scientist what are the things that you can be doing um and that's you know formulations and cosmetic development and product development has never really been a um a career or a career that people have spoken about and actually you know who who develops and formulates the products that end up in our bathroom cabinet who you know who builds and and color matches and um, builds textures and for, you know for the for the lipsticks that we wear or the or the you know an incredible amount of science goes into that um so i think for um for that particular morning it was um bringing together a lot of brands and talking about actually the incredible like innovation and especially I mean in the UK we there's some incredible incredible innovation going on um around kind of the science of beauty and the um formulations product development that sort of thing um that goes into it and it's such a um I think gratifying career as well because you can kind of if you train as a cosmetic formulator or if you are, um, we heard from some brilliant, brilliant women there who kind of went into um, cosmetic science and the feeling that they, that they get when they see the product that they developed on a shelf, you know, on a shop shelf in boots or something. And to know that actually they mixed up that formulation, they developed, they know the science, the backing. They are the ones who kind of, perhaps um may have helped with the claims or it's um it's kind of unique and amazing so I feel like there's a real um drive now to kind of push um women going into science topics and and actually knowing that there's a real like vast array of jobs that you can do with a real science backing um that actually is kind of so fun and amazing I mean I I wish I knew when I was sort of 16 that I could go and like, I could persevere my, you know, chemistry A level and perhaps go to university and become a formulator. You know, there's like, there's such a, there's such an incredible kind of career path there. Um, 
but yeah, there's lo- there's lots of like education I think around um, getting young, you know, boys and girls into um, into the beauty industry at quite a young age. You know, at that kind of career age where you sort of think about your options and you think about what you're going to study and stuff. I think it's been um, for such a long time like beauty's never really been on the table. Well, actually, even going into hairdressing, God, hairdressers are incredible. Like the amount of um, the, the the amount of kind of business knowledge and creativity that goes into becoming a hairdresser and running your own salon is incredible. So there's a real like um, there's a real lack of understanding, I guess, in how amazing a career in the beauty industry is. So I think there's a um, yeah, there's exciting work going on in that in that field. I love that because I feel like there's so many ways you can take or so many routes you can take and yeah. work within the beauty industry. Because even yourself, if you look at, you know, your path, um, we met at university. Um, I've gone one way, you went another. And I think when we met, because we met in third year of our journalism degree, and I think you had already started working at the Telegraph. So um, I think that's just really interesting and fascinating how many avenues there are into the beauty industry and how different the jobs are. Absolutely. And I think for me, when I first started, um, I was on the kind of general features desk um, of the magazine. I'd work across um, mainly the kind of features and like supporting the more senior editors on their um, like interviews and stories and stuff. But I had, I always had this real kind of passion for beauty products, but I just, you know, um, and as my, as I was there after a few years, I started doing a bit more beauty writing here and there. And then, you know, it kind of developed into um, my main job. But when I first started kind of writing the, like some of the beauty content, it's like, I can't believe this is my job. This is, this is amazing. I get to like speak to incredible women um, which is always such a passion of mine. You know, I love doing interviews. I love speaking to people. I love just, you know, beauty is a real like um, universal language that I think even if you're like, you're either really into it or even if you're not that into it, someone has an opinion. You always have an opinion. You always have like questions. You always want to be, you know, it's such a lovely way to have a conversation with someone around beauty because there's always something to talk about. So, um, you know, when I first started out um, on the beauty desk, I was like, I get to speak to amazing women, Some, uh, you know, some of the time quite high-profile high women, um, and yet you all it all brings it down to kind of that routine and that kind of, you know, what do you use on a day-to-day basis? You get so much back from a conversation around beauty you know you learn so much from a person just through what are the steps are you super simple in the morning when it comes to your skincare or do you have an elaborate 12-step routine um are you much more of an on-the-go person when it comes to your lipstick or do you like to sit there and like at a dressing table and do your makeup you know there's so much kind of um, amazing personality you can get from a person through beauty and I was just hooked from that kind of from the beginning and I would I couldn't think of not being uh, you know not just not writing about beauty now that's um it's quite incredible because there's not many people who actually find that one thing that they really love and then can do that for most of their career really 
I just wanted to go back because、um, you mentioned that you supported the beauty industry during the pandemic as part of your、um, activism, I guess. And I wanted to ask how that's looking now. Has have they recovered?、Uh, what is happening at the moment? Yes,、yeah, so I think beauty industry has、um, bounced back to an extent. There are definitely um, um, things that will take a long time to recover. I think the beauty industry was actually quite badly hit at the beginning,、um, but、um, part of the work with the British Beauty Council, and I think that they have done so well partnering with other groups in the beauty industry, is、um, just making sure that. After that initial kind of disaster of the lack of attention on the beauty industry, they really made up for it, you know. Afterwards, so it was like fighting for like the the much bigger、um, uh, kind of resources in terms of financial help after lockdowns,、um, not and financial help from not being able to work. So it was a real kind of、um, support element, I think, afterwards. Um, it took a while to kind of get off the ground, and obviously there are lots of. I think there are lots of、um, businesses that still continue to suffer as they do in every industry. But in recent reports, there was a um, um, the local data company、um, did a survey in January, which showed really sort of promising statistics around. Beauty actually being quite like one of the more robust、um, industries on the high street. So you know, I think fashion stores, a lot of fashion stores have closed. A lot of retail has closed, but beauty has been quite resilient.、Um, you know, I think people really realise in terms of the general public how important their beauty, how important the beauty industry is. I mean, you know, for some people having that. You know, especially kind of either elderly people or older people having a, a, a you know a pedicure every two weeks and maybe going to have your blow dry on a Friday was often the only communication you'd have with a person. You know,、um, this is obviously pre-pandemic. You know, they may not have had those conversations with their family. Maybe they were, you know, even just anyone feeling lonely or having that like. Having that kind of、um, like beauty is one of those one one of those very rare industries that requires personal touch,、um, you know, and I think that is so powerful to how you feel. Just either having your head massaged or having your hand having your hands touched during a manicure. There's so much physical connection that I think as soon as like. We had on and off, you know, eighteen months of hardly any beauty services and treatments. I think that really affected people.、Um, a because of the whole kind of mental aspect of like how you were、um, like、speaking to people and having people kind of、um, look after you, because that's what the beauty industry does. It's、um, it was also you know how you see yourself. If someone had really overgrown highlights. Or like had their grades coming through and it was making them feel really sort of not confident. You know that's because、uh, you know those are the sorts of people that I've heard from so many hairdressers when they when everything opened up again. The amount of people and their clients that would sit in their chair and sob and cry because they were having you know someone look after them 
you know, and I think that there's a real like, um, there's so much power in that. And I think beauty is, we're, we're finally seeing now actually, gosh, there's, there's, it's not just aesthetic. It's not just how you look. It's not just about vanity. It's so much about how you feel as well. That's such a beautiful answer because I've never actually thought about the social and the physical touch aspect of it. Of course, yeah. confidence, because if you haven't had your hair done or, you know, your eyebrows shaped or whatever, yeah, the confidence aspect that can be quite impactful. But um, yeah, the, the physical touch and social, um, that's actually so true. And I, I never, never even thought about that. As a... Um, As a beauty professional and a journalist, what are then some of the things that you get asked the most? Um, so, lo like lots of questions. Often, um, when I do my li little like Q and A's on Instagram, on my Instagram stories, lots of um, product recommendations. So, what are your favorite products then? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, so, I use by the nature of my job, I kind of have to test and try a few different things. But I will religiously always use a vitamin C serum in the morning um, because of the antioxidants and because I get pigmentation and vitamin C is the one thing that kind of helps to future-proof my skin against that. So my favorites, um, I love the brand Allies of Skin. I love SkinCeuticals, um, Ferulic Acid. Um, yeah, I go quite, I go quite sort of, um, I guess, medical on the whole vitamin C side of things. But generally, any kind of nice vitamin C um, I will use in the morning. And then I'll follow that with um, just a nice cream. I normally, I like the CeraVe one. That's a really good price point. On Right on the other end of the scale is Augustina Spada, who, you know, whose face creams are like 200 pounds of hot. Um, they are amazing, but very, very, very expensive. Um, and then I'll always use a SPF. Um, so every day, so without fail, I'll use an SPF. And my favorites are um, Ultraviolet, which is a fantastic Australian sun care brand. Um, I like Murad and what else do I like? La Roche-Posay, I absolutely love for SPF. Their Anthelios is just like my, you know, my ultimate go-to. If I, I know it always works. It always like, it never leaves a sort of ashy um, cast on the face. Um, it's light. It sits nicely under makeup. You know, you can, you can't go wrong with Anthelios. Um, and then in terms of makeup, Oh, and then just staying with skincare, I always do a double cleanse with a balm at night time. I spend quite a lot, a lot of time cleaning my face in the evening. Um, and actually, that's my little self-care ritual in the evening. It's kind of taking off my makeup for those five minutes. It's just, I find, really sort of grounding. It's um, just something about the act of looking in the mirror, taking off the day. You know, it almost um figuratively takes off the day as well of like you know oh, I've had a hard day I'm just going to take everything off um and then I'll I'll use I'm very simple I, I'll use like either I might use a retinol twice a week the other times I'll use like a lovely oil or something and that's it um and then in terms of makeup I like um 
I love NARS. I love Charlotte Tilbury. I mean, there are so many brilliant makeup brands. Um, the NARS Radiant Con- Creamy Concealer, I've actually just got right here. I love that. Um, and um, I don't tend to wear foundation um, day to day. But if I do wear foundation, I I really like the new Charlotte Tilbury Healthy Skin Foundation. I think that's fab. Um, and then I just try lots of random things. So Tower 28 is a really good blusher. Rose Ink, the new brand by... Um, Rosie Huntington Whitley is great. Um, yeah, I'm always kind of trying and testing lots of different makeup products. Um, so I'm much more like adventurous with my makeup. <laughs> I could go on. I could literally go on for hours, Christina, but I won't. <laughs> yeah, but I assume you get like so many PR parcels, packages to just try everything, right? So yeah, yeah, we it's do probably get like half the day gone. Yeah, we, there are lots of packages, um, which is such a, a incredible perk of the job um, that we, um, you know, there's lots of stories that we work on that, um, you know, we always want to have the kind of new things to tell our readers about and um, whether that's on kind of social or in editorial um, or on shoots, I think there's, you know, the beauty industry is so exciting because actually there's constant newness obviously with that becomes a a real responsibility to not just be promoting lots of things all the time. I'm very sort of anti that. I think uh, it's much easier and much better to be, you know, I, whenever I'm writing editorial or if I'm on social, I always think about what am I, if I was speaking to my sisters, what would I recommend? And it's never going to be spend 200 pounds on loads of skincare and, you know, you need to buy all of this like expensive makeup. You just don't. But it's like perhaps having one or two really nice things, one or two high street things that will give you an overall really nice effect. And um, I always keep that in the back of my mind. Absolutely. So but I could literally go on for hours. <laughs> um, so what's next for you then? What What's upcoming? What are you working on? Tell me everything. Um, so I am excitingly writing a book at the moment, um, which I kind of can't talk about too much, but um, it is a book um, around South Asian beauty and a lot of, um, I guess, slightly touching on what we've spoken about in terms of the rituals and the the feeling of beauty as much as the looking of beauty. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, how it makes you feel, because I feel like there's a there's a real kind of um, misconception that the beauty is just about, you know, how you look. But I mean, I always feel so much better in the morning after I've done my skincare and maybe put on a tiny bit of blush or something. But um, so I'm, I'm writing a book. I'm currently in the process of writing a book. And um, that's my kind of obviously outside of my my day job. Um which I do three days a week. My other two days at the moment are sort of um, quite heavily concentrating on um, on writing, which is such a luxury and a joy to to have. And also, you know, just um, helping. I, I work with some brands um, on kind of helping with their communication and messaging and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, a bit of a varied pot. Yeah. 
Amazing. Do you have a launch date for the book yet? I don't yet. No, no, but I need to, um, <laughs> I do need to get a move on with, <laughs> with writing. <laughs> <laughs> That's so exciting. Um, sounds like you've got a lot going on though at all times. Yeah. It, Cause you do a lot on social media too. Yes. Yeah. I think the social, I actually find really fun and I love, I mean, I'm a natural talker. I love talking to people. Um, and I think, um, I think I, you, you know, I don't put everything on social. I don't really put my kids on social because I just don't want to. Um, so I'm not, I'm definitely not an all in person when it comes to social media and Instagram, but where I see it's really useful is kind of recommendations for products, putting up my stories, create, creating conversations around things going on. Um, and actually by and large, I, I find it a really positive place. Um, I think there's a lot of social media bashing that goes on and, of course it has its like it definitely has its faults but for me um I sort of lean in and lean out of Instagram as much or as little as I want to which I like yeah that's that's lovely is there um is there anything you'd like to mention that we haven't covered before we come to an end I don't think so. I think I've babbled away for quite, uh, quite a lot, <laughs> quite a long time. I'm sure there's lots of things that I haven't um, spoken about, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, I think definitely what we've all found after lockdown is, um, you know, it's nice to have a bit of, you know, flexibility, I think with our lives, it doesn't have to be all or nothing when it comes to, um, certain jobs and careers and you know I think there's a lot of um ways we can kind of you know it's quite exciting how we we can start thinking more creatively I think around how we um how we work I guess um but yeah I think there's I think there's um I think the beauty industry is in a really sort of exciting period at the moment and you know it's a joy to be part of and I feel like there's a, there's some real brilliant progress going on in the industry at the moment which you know I'm, de I'm definitely excited about the next sort of next phase of how the industry speaks to people and to real women um and men you know there's a real there's real progress happening there which which is good very exciting yeah Well, then we're coming to an end. Thank you so much for coming on. It's always so nice to catch up with you. You too. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been so nice seeing your face and like having this great chat with you. I know. It was really lovely. Um, I will pop all your social media handles and everything in the show notes. So anyone who would like to follow you and uh, get your recommendations can do so. Um And yes, thank you so much again. Thanks so much, Christina. Did you enjoy this episode? Then feel free to share, like, follow, subscribe. Just hit all of the buttons. For more info on today's topic, check out the show notes. You can also find me on Instagram at Christina underscore Simone or LinkedIn, Christina Baischel. I'll be back with a new episode next week. See you then.